Hello everyone, welcome to our first ever episode of the Alumni Spotlight series. My first guest is Devika Kornbacher, who is the Technology Transactions and IP Lawyer at Vincent and Elkins. I hope you enjoy the episode. I wanted to welcome you to the Alumni Spotlight series. You are actually my very first guest, which I'm really excited about. To start it off, maybe you can briefly introduce yourself, what year you graduated from Harvard Law School, and your current job. Sure. So I'm Devika Kornbacher, and I am HLS 06, and I currently practice as a technology transactions partner in Houston, Texas, with splitting time with New York before coronavirus. So now I'm kind of quarantined to Houston, Texas. Uh, My practice helps clients leverage technology in the day-to-day and commercial side. So that's for software licenses, website terms of use, and also a data privacy and cybersecurity component kind of in the context of that, helping people build compliance programs and really handle data in a way that they can monetize it, both directly and indirectly, but also keep it secure, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, we're in a world where reputational damage is almost irreparable <laughs> once, it's, once it's occurred. So, so I help clients leverage the tech and make sure that they're, protecting their reputation while they leverage that tech. And I actually read on your bio that you have an engineering degree and that you previously worked as a design engineer. Can you tell me a little bit about that and why the switch to law? For me, I actually never wanted to be an engineer when I was growing up. I wanted to be an actress or a marketing exec. And I was told, though, as somebody who came from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I am a, for those of you who can't see me, I'm a black female. And so I was told, look, you're good at math, you're good at science, you need to become an engineer. And I was like, a what? And so they set me down and they were like, you need to pick one of these engineers. And so I actually chose structural engineering because I like macro and being able to touch things. And so I kind of went on that not knowing what that meant, but knowing this is something I should do, right? Like this is supposed to be a better use of my time. So I did practice. I was in the ministry full-time straight out of law school. I did that for two and a half years. But then I practiced as a design engineer for two and a half years. But in both of those professions, I you know, knew I wanted to do more. And I remember when I was younger, when I was five, I wanted to be a lawyer, a doctor, and a gourmet chef. So I was a little later in life. So the whole doctor thing, you know, looking at seven years ahead of me, I was like, that's probably not the right path for me right now. And then the Gourmet chef, I cook well enough, but I didn't want it to be my profession. So remembering that I really wanted to help people through law and having a – I had an occasion, if you'll indulge me for a second. I had an occasion where I had a – my mom had passed, and there was a life insurance policy, and this woman came to help me. She was a lawyer. She had a law degree. She was also, like, uh, authorized to practice in the New York Stock Exchange, all these different things. But she had a law degree. And I was so distraught because of different things that happened. There were some financial things, and she just – she wasn't even the nicest woman in the world. She was kind of rude, actually, but she knew answers. And she was just able to tell me definitively, don't worry about this, don't worry about that, just do this. And I thought, again, hearkening back to what I wanted to be when I was five, I was like, I want to do that. I want to be able to have answers for people when they need them most. And so when I started kind of looking for my next career, that's why law came back to me. And so I you know, applied to law school, and the rest, I guess, we'll talk about. That is a really, really inspiring story. Is that one of the reasons that you decided to apply to HLab? It is. So when I when I did came to HLab, it was that is I wanted to do law to help people. 
And we can talk later about, well, how does that work? You're now a corporate lawyer. We'll talk about it. <laughs> but, but with H-Lab, it, it was my opportunity to be direct and hands-on. I actually probably had one of the most clinical educations that Harvard offers. So H-Lab was one of four different clinics I did while I was there. As an engineer, I was used to practicing, not just theorizing. So I did H-Lab as kind of my long-term clinic, but also did the Berkman Center and uh, worked with the Electronic Retail Foundation there as part of a clinic. I worked for the Chief Technology Officer of Massachusetts in my winter term as a clinic. Um, uh, and I also worked with a little bit with negotiations and some other things. So, so anyway, so H-Lab was my long-term clinic, though, because it was my chance to help uh, those who could not find the answer themselves and really just needed a lawyer to point them to the answer. I definitely want to talk about the skills that you learned in HLAB and how they're applicable to your current job. But first, I noticed that you were actually the research and technology director at the Bureau. So can you tell me a little yeah, bit about yeah. that? Um, I think that is a really interesting role because it seems to be one that is continually evolving and even just from last year to this year, we are now using completely new technology for intake software, Zoom meetings, where we store our files, things like that. So I'm really curious to hear about what the role was when you were at the Bureau. So I took the role because I really appreciated Ron Lozebnik, who had the role before me, and I thought it was you know, just cool that he got to work with the tech for H-Lab and do the behind-the-scenes stuff, as well as the research, because I love books and knowledge. So it was like a perfect position, because you got to be in charge of the library of sorts and the computers. So it was, it was the perfect world for me. Uh, it, and it was evolving even then. So many, I know that it's much different now, but even then it was a little different because uh, we were doing things much more in a virtual manner, meaning like even like filing virtually and not always having to go to the courthouse. And then our reporting system, I worked with Crystal Reports, so it was cool because I got to learn new software about how to report on how we're doing on our intakes and what was our flow so we could look at data and analytics. So I took the role because it fit very squarely into my interests but also because it was a it was an opportunity for me to affect change. And so, um, you know, I was able to think through what's going to be best for the future for are we going to be using books, which looks like not much, right? Many, I don't think you use many books now. Um, no, you don't go pull a reporter off of the shelf. <laughs> but but I in my tenure, I was able to kind of think through that. Like, do we really need all these books? Can we start moving to having, um, you know, special deals with what the Westlaws and LexisNexis and, you know, having treatises online. So so I really enjoyed that position and grateful that I had it. You spoke a little bit about Louisiana and being a black woman at HLAB and beyond. Has your identity ever affected your work? We, we talk about that a lot at the Bureau about identities and communities that we're serving and just the legal system in general perhaps underestimating those identities or marginalizing them. So I'm curious if you've ever felt that. I would say this. The answer is yes, right? Simple answer, yes. I just think that what we have to do as the population that is in the minority, it's just a fact. It, you can make a decision with that. Has it affected my path? Absolutely. But I choose to look at it as it affected my path in a way that has given me an opportunity to educate others. And it's given me opportunity to make a path for others. Because it does feel a little wrong that it's my responsibility to educate, right, <laughs> the majority yeah. on how to treat us, the minority, and how not to make assumptions and how not to stereotype. Like, how is that my job? Shouldn't you go learn that somewhere else and then treat me correctly? But unfortunately, that's not where we are. And so I've, I've kind of taken this, the, the identity that I have and used that to disabuse some folks of some notions that they've had. I'll just say it that way. 
right? And and I had to, I'm going to be candid, I had to get rid of my own. I really appreciated Ace Lab because one of the first things, I don't know if you guys still do this, but we had a retreat. And we went we went off to the island, and um, they, but they brought in, at the time Clarissa was there, and uh, Clarissa, who was uh, one of the, the supervising attorneys, she did this whole presentation on diversity, and she talked and she just asked questions. Like she had us all line up. She was like, okay, who, and you, who of you went to a private school? And those people step up, and everybody else, you know, stays where they are. Who of you? And then she starts kind of going through this list of things. Who of you had a tutor, right, while you were in high school? And she starts going through all these things. And at the end of the day, I will tell you, I told you I'm a black woman from Louisiana. I didn't take a lot of steps with some of those questions. And, but what she did use that for, for those who took all this stuff, she, she said, look around, turn, turn around, and look how far ahead you are of the people behind you. You're not better than them, but you've been given some privilege. And our clients are like that. We have been given, we're all lawyers, we've been given the privilege of an education, we've been given the privilege of these things, but we're not better than our clients. They may be some steps behind us, but it's not a deficiency in them, it's a privilege of us. And so it just kind of blew my mind, right, and kind of set the, the tone for what I needed to be at HLAB as the, yes, the student attorney for my client, but I'm no better than my client. They're in a rough situation, but not because I'm better than them, but because maybe I had an extra privilege they didn't get, or I just fell in a different place than they did. And so that helped me have the right mindset, and also culturally too, you know, thinking through, I didn't realize we took an implicit bias test, like I had an implicit bias against African-American males, <laughs> right? I associated guns with them. I was like, oh, my gosh. So it made me just be more conscious in a way that I acknowledged my bias and then acted against it instead of with it. That is extremely insightful. We had a similar workshop about our own personal biases and privileges, also continually asking ourselves who we're working for, serving our clients, not just legally, but recognizing their physical, emotional, and mental situations that they're in that might require different things of us. I'm curious about your work at HLAB and how you think those skills have translated to now you work in technology at a firm and you're advising people on protecting their property rights. How has that translated in any way in helping you in your current role? Yeah, so I actually, I will tell you what HLAB did for me. And I, anybody who's listening to this who's thinking about HLAB or financial lab, I'm not saying don't do litigation. But I will tell you, being at HLAB, let me know, I did not want to be a full-time litigator. <laughs> Um, because of, you know, I enjoyed the depositions. I enjoyed the skill set that that took to to question people, to find an answer, and to lead people where you want them to go. I still do use that because I use that in my negotiating tactics. And so that advocacy skill has absolutely been used in my current practice. But I did decide I didn't like the kind of almost zero-sum game that litigation is, right? At the end of the day, there's a winner and a loser. And at the end of the day, somebody's rights, or either abrogated or expanded only to the detriment of others. Other litigators may have a diff- I mean, litigators may have a different view on that, but that's just the way I felt about it. So I actually moved to a transactional practice. So HLAB helped me know that I didn't want to be a full-time litigator, <laughs> that I really wanted to do more transactional work. But it also did what I what I talked about before is that that advocacy skill um, gave me. I, I feel like having this, this being my third career gave me a leg up then with being able to advocate just from jump because I had already been in court. I had already been arguing a case that maybe the facts weren't perfect, but I already argued a case in a way where we got what our client wanted. And working with Lee Goldstein, who was amazing, you know, he was like, look, just because the other side is acting, I'll just say, a certain way, doesn't mean we have to. So what I also learned was that I keep my integrity as a lawyer even when the other side doesn't have it. Even when the other side is doing very underhanded things, I'll say. 
and, and kind of hitting below the belt. I stay above board because my integrity is mine. I shouldn't let any situation take that from me. So I learned that at HLAP. And, again, I carry that into my practice now. That's amazing. And if you had one piece of advice to give HLAB students, maybe young attorneys, maybe something you wish you had known when you were at HLAB, what would it be? You know, I'd say go all in, right? It's not just the clinic. It is, it, it, it is for the, especially for your client, it is their life. And I did do that, but I wish I would have spent more time with the people around me and learning about the other cases and learning about the other lives we were affecting. Because I was very much so in my case, and I was. I was all in. So definitely be all in to the case that you're in. But pick your head up just a little bit and look around at what your other student attorneys are doing and learn about their cases and see if you can help them. And and I, I think I would have spent more time. You know, you feel pressed because you've got school, you've got everything else. But I kind of wish I'd have spent more time doing some more landlord-tenant cases because I was on family law. Um, I think I would have had a more fulsome experience and honestly had a different view of of the law and of the way it's practiced if I would have spent a little more time learning from my student attorneys working in different practice groups. Thank you so much. That's really great advice. just want to end on a bit of a fun question. You said that you're a pretty good chef and, and gourmet chef was one of the things that you might wanted to pursue. What is a favorite recipe that you love to make? So this is, it's my mom's meat pie. I know, it doesn't sound fancy, uh, <laughs> but it, it's a it's a recipe that came out of what we had in the pantry. Again, Louisiana. Like, you, you can make something out of anything. And all we had in the pantry was a can of cream mushrooms. We had a pie crust in the freezer, and we had a bunch of meat. And we were missing some other ingredients. Like, we didn't have rice. We didn't have all these other things. But we had these. And so we came up, my mom and I together came up with this thing called meat pie. Oh, and we had cheese. So it's, it's simple, <laughs> but it it is absolutely amazing. So everybody I've made it for loves it. It's like now like the family recipe that goes. My brother called me for it at the beginning of Corona, uh, Corona team. He called me and he was like, hey, I need a meat pie recipe because it's a very homey kind of <laughs> make you feel good, make you feel safe kind of kind of food. <laughs> oh, that sounds so delicious. Oh, it is yummy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It was such a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Minnie.